This podcast is offered to you by Zen Center North Shore on the web at www.zencenternorthshore.org. This program is made possible by donations from listeners like you. Good morning, everybody. Oh, I think we just lost someone. <laughs> it was so early. It was not something I said. <laughs> I hadn't said anything yet. Maybe they'll come back. Oh, good, Rob. All right. All right. How's everybody doing? Hello. Hi. I realize this is a big day. It's not just Suzuki Roshi's memorial. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit you know, about who this person is. There he is. It's actually the 50th anniversary. Amazing. I hadn't heard from San Francisco Zen Center that it was such a momentous marker. And it didn't occur to me until I was putting on my white kimono just now, 50 years. So I've been thinking about this all morning. Here we are, 50 years into Suzuki Roshi's um, great encounter with the hippies of San Francisco in the 60s. So Suzuki Roshi, there he is. Um, uh, Shogaku Shunryu, Shunryu Suzuki. Roshi means um, teacher. And it's an honorific, uh, sometimes used in the Zen tradition. We don't use it so much, San Francisco Zen Center, although that's beginning to change a little bit. Um, so we colloquially just say Suzuki Roshi, and that's him. He arrived from San Francisco, from, um, Japan to San Francisco in 1959 to found San Francisco Zen Center. And so he's our Dharmic grandfather. And I was thinking, I'm really appreciating that big shift he made from his little fishing village in Japan to San Francisco, downtown San Francisco. And I did just the opposite 10 years ago. I moved from downtown San Francisco to the little fishing village of Marblehead. And it was a trip. <laughs> it was very different. It was a big culture shock. So I'm thinking of that too this morning, how that was for him. Well, it seems how it was for him is it was um, enlivening and life-changing. He, um, some people say that his dharma, his teachings, really came alive once he left Japan and had to teach in English and was um, working with people who were very different from him, who were not trained in Zen, who were not of Japanese culture, San Francisco Zen Center is what we're now calling these days is part of the, you know, the convert movement, the Zen converts, Buddhist converts, white people practicing with um, a 
teacher of Asian descent, or sometimes um, white people who went to an Asian country or two and then came back and founded their own centers, like we see in the insight meditation world with Jack Kornfield and Sharon Salzberg and that whole game. So still, I think we can say that Suzuki Roshi was part of a movement to encourage and grow actively Buddhism as a practice in this country, along with the um, Asian teachers and priests who came to the U.S. and established temples that were primarily with people also of Asian origin, Asian heritage. But I'm thinking about that moment when Suzuki Roshi did come. He went to San Francisco from Japan because he was on a mission. Literally, it was the mission. He was to land at Sokoji Mission in downtown San Francisco at the corner of um, let's see, was it, I think it's Laguna, what was the corner, in Bush, somewhere right around there, so several blocks straight up <laughs> Laguna from where San Francisco Zen Center is now, at the corner of Laguna and Page, for those who know San Francisco, if anybody here does. Um, and his, his job was to be the priest to the Japanese-American congregation at the Zen church at Sokoji. But what ended up happening was somehow the word got out. It was the timing. Richard Baker was definitely part of this. He was a student at UC Berkeley um, and encountered, I think it was a little flyer. It's all detailed in David Chadwick's book, Crooked Cucumber, um, but maybe encountered a flyer at City Lights Bookstore in North Beach, which was the hotbed of the beat and um, hippie kind of scene. A little flyer for Suzuki Roshi. I don't know if he was offering Sazen or what was going on, but, you know, Suzuki Roshi didn't find that the Japanese-American congregants were so interested in practicing Sazen. Um, and he did find that these young wild-haired, wild-eyed, psychedelic, tripping <laughs> hippies were interested in Sazen. And so that was, that was a moment, a choice, where Suzuki Roshi ended up moving out of Sokoji and up the street when this group of ragtag hippies bought the building at Laguna and Page. And then they established this practice center, now known as San Francisco Zen Center, City Center Temple. So, um, so this encounter between Suzuki Roshi and these hippies in 1959, and then he died in 1971. He died on the night of like overnight, December 3rd to December 4th. I think it was in the early morning hours of December 4th. But the tradition 
at San Francisco Zen Center is to honor his um, annual memorial, the night of the third, with the Japanese uh, text of the harmony of difference and equality, the Sando Kai, and it's a service that's entirely in Japanese. And then the next morning, the service is just as we offered it, just as you heard Emily lead us in it. And that night, December 3rd into December 4th, was uh, the Sangha at San Francisco Zen Center was right in the midst of Rahatsu Sashin, of honoring Buddha's enlightenment, Buddha's awakening that will be honoring next weekend, next Sunday with an all-day sitting. Uh, so Suzuki Roshi's students heard the news that he had died while they were deep in Zazen downstairs in the Zendo. He was upstairs in the room where he lived. He died right there in the temple and they knew it was coming. He died of liver cancer and it was you know, kind of a prolonged situation where they saw him, his skin changing as he, he had jaundice and all kinds of other physical manifestations. So that was a powerful, powerful session, powerful meditation retreat for them. Um... So as I'm thinking about honoring Suzuki Roshi, and here we are 50 years later after, after his passing, and I guess 61 years later after the, the original encounter, how is it going? <laughs> you know, how we're, we are one, Zen Center North Shore, we're one of many branching stream sanghas, one of many affiliate sanghas of, you know, kind of Suzuki Roshi's offspring all the different Dharma groups and practice centers and Zen centers that arose in the years uh, following his landing. And, you know, even with his death, it's just a wonderful story. All, so many sub-stories of this encounter you know, like in the great vacuum after Suzuki Roshi's death, his choosing his Dharma successor, and then the other senior teachers who had been practicing with him, who had already gone out to establish their own practice centers, like um, the Los Altos Zendo, um, that maybe is connected with, if not directly, what's now called the Kanondo practice place in um, Mountain View in the you know Silicon Valley which is where Covencino was teaching and which was the original practice place of Steve Jobs founder of Apple <laughs> so, who apparently showed um, Covencino if I'm getting these stories right it was Covencino he showed his first computer to way back in the early 70s Um, and then Mel Weitzman had already started a sitting group in Berkeley, and it's now the Berkeley Zen Center. And Bill Kwong had started his practice place, Sonoma Mountain Zen Center. So there are already these kind of 
split-offs, which could be seen as a little bit of a fracturing, you know. <laughs> the Zen tradition, we have our own um, dharma. You know, I think of Cabot Street here in Beverly and all the many churches within a few blocks of each other. <laughs> And the story that, you know, the pastor said something one day that someone didn't like and they left in a huff and started their own church across the street. <laughs> so we have a little bit of that too. But I think these days the spirit is more of, oh, and I think always the spirit was honoring a particular way of Suzuki Roshi, a way of kindness. And... Um, upholding the practice of zazen, the activity of zazen, and continuing to investigate what is this encounter we're making here through Zen Center North Shore. Um, you know, what is this encounter I feel with, in the year 2021, with what we call social justice, racial justice, and the practice of zazen. This is a formal practice place, Zen Center North Shore. You got a taste of some of it. The practice of offering full bows, the practicing of offering incense, the practicing of offering memorial services and honoring ancestors, wearing robes, which you're invited to, if you'd like, to practice with uh, wearing a lay, you know, a lay robe. Anybody can put a robe on, and it changes things to wear a robe. Um, the practice of receiving the precepts and entering more formally a particular tradition to feel the support. Yes, the confines. <laughs> To see how the confines of a tradition are meant to free us, that with those boundaries, a kind of framework, we can relate to the vastness, we can relate to um, emptiness, as we say, infinite possibility, our own infinite possibility. So that's the formal side, and, and the great encounter I feel happening is the um, interplay, interface, it's way too tidy. <laughs> Even encounter is way too tidy. But there is a, a joining, there is a, a meeting, you know, a heart pull toward what we call social justice. Hosan Alan Sanaki, who is the Dharma heir to Mel Weitzman at the Berkeley Zen Center, said, I heard him say several years ago, social justice, from his point of view as a Zen priest, is not politics, it's Shila Paramita, it's ethical conduct. And he's gone on to become a leader, you know, in engaged Buddhism across the world. When Obama called Buddhist leaders from around the country to meet at the White House, he was one of them. And so he's now, 
the good trouble he's causing right now is he asked the branching streams leaders recently, oh, a wider group, the SCBA, the Sutta Zen Buddhist um, Association priests. He asked, okay, who wants to set up a 501c4? Which is for um, actively getting involved in supporting particular candidates for office, like people of color and people who are not denying the fact of climate collapse, for instance, and who feel that urgency to get to work and put, put you know, certain principles in place in the form of legislation. So that's a whole thicket of karma creating right there. We did that dance in the last three months <laughs> with our dear friend and Sangha member, Dr. Godo. <laughs> um, and I, when I say we, I do not mean the Zen Center. I mean a few of us in the Sangha as individuals. And that takes a lot of energy to hold that. So this 501c4 idea is very interesting for some of us who understand that social justice is not politics, but Sheila Parmita. Um, how did I go off on that tangent? Anyway, I was thinking about Hosan Alan Sanaki and the Berkeley Zen Center. Oh yes, just this, this ongoing encounter, which is a creative, dynamic, authentic, alive encounter. It's not dead. We don't know exactly how this will go, but we do know, I'm going to say as Zen priests, as Zen lineage holders, that it will absolutely include the practice of Zazen. So I thought this morning I would spend just a few minutes sharing some stories um, of Suzuki Roshi's time, some of the things that he said in response to practitioners' questions, people who came before him, so that you could have a sense of his spirit, um, his heart, his attitude of what serious practice is. And he, by the way, is the one who said, what we're doing here is so important, we better not take it too seriously. Um, and I thought I would start with a couple of uh, stories that I heard from my own teachers who had direct encounters with him because I didn't. I was five years old when he died, so I didn't know him physically. And the task now is knowing him kind of energetically through my teachers and through my own mind, making contact with his mind and actually making contact with your mind. So later on, I would love it if uh, we paired up and you might express some of your own questions. If you're newer to Zen or older to Zen, what questions do you have about what all this is? What the practice of Zazen is? What, I'm going to even say, the culture of Zen, kind of the surround of the activity of Zen, what that is, what Zen Center is, what a Zen Center is, what this Zen Center is. But just to start with maybe Darlene, Darlene and Tony, 
were a couple and they came from Cambridge. They were living in Cambridge in the 60s and they got into their, I imagine it was a VW bus. I don't even know if it was and drove out to California, to San Francisco because they heard through the grapevine. And of course, this was before the internet. So <laughs> we're just made it across the country that there was this Zen teacher and there were interesting things happening at this place called San Francisco Zen Center. I think by then it was the late 60s, maybe it was even 1970. Um, but their very first encounter with Suzuki Roshi was precisely, he was coming down the stairs in full robes to go down to the Zendo, which was in the basement. Just as Darlene and Tony were arriving for the first time into the building at 300 page, they walked into the front door and the way Tony tells it, he had long hair and probably beads and Darlene was probably wearing something very short on the bottom and low on the top and in their full 60s fabulousness, as they walked in, they looked up and there was Suzuki Roshi on the stairs. He had paused and was looking down at them from down the stairs. And he got this big smile on his face as he looked at them and bowed. <laughs> and Tony said, that's what did it for him. He felt so welcomed and so seen and so met. And then Blanche, Blanche I hear Blanche saying two things that, that Suzuki Roshi said to her. Um, one was, she came rushing into Dokusan, very excited one day. Dokusan is the one-on-one -on -one encounter with a teacher. And um, she sat down across from him and was telling him all about her zazen, an experience she had had in her zazen. And he looked at her very sternly. And this was the first time he had spoken to her so strictly. And he said, don't you ever think that you sit zazen. Zazen sits Zazen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. And then the second thing was, I can hear and see Blanche saying this. Um, Suzuki Roshi saying that our practice is to make your best effort in each moment forever. Just that. To make your best effort in each moment forever. And then actually also there's a, another another story. Blanche is uh, in my mind, well, toward the end of her life, she got very soft. She was over 90 when she died, and she she was um, softening into more of the teachings of loving kindness which are not, strictly speaking, from the Zen tradition. Um, the teaching of metta, which we borrow all the time these days. It's from the Theravadan tradition, but it all relates back to Shakyamuni Buddha. But at any rate, Blanche in her earlier years was not focusing on metta, on loving kindness so much. She was, even pictures of her, she's very samurai, 
like she really got into that, that aspect of Zen practice. And so I always thought of her as very strict with the forms, you know, and her posture and conduct. And so I love the story of Blanche. Apparently she was a smoker. <laughs> she, she smoked cigarettes <laughs> even when she first started practicing Zazen with Suzuki Roshi. And the day she quit was the day that she was carrying the Buddha tray, the offering tray from the kitchen down the stairs to the Zendo to begin the Oriyoki meal, the former meal in the, in the Zendo before the monks eat. We make an offering to the Buddha by very ceremonially holding this, you know, this red lacquer tray specifically just like this. You hold it on the bottom and you hold it on the top. The person who is the soku, who's the head of the serving crew, very ceremonial, and you carry it, you know, down to the zendo with full respect. That morning, Blanche decided to sneak a cigarette, and as she was carrying the tray, she had a cigarette right here. <laughs> she was walking down to the zendo, and Suzuki Roshi, she was not expecting to see him in the hallway. He was supposed to be in the zendo, and um, what he did when he saw her, didn't say a word, because this is huge, <laughs> and all he went was, <laughs> and then just kept walking. <laughs> so that was the last day that Blanche had a cigarette. But you know what? I will say that to this day, at the Holy Tassajara Monastery, there still is a smoking section. <laughs> there is a place where the monks go and smoke, and it's very beautiful. It's down by the side of the creek. <laughs> and there's a whole culture down there. <laughs> All right, so here are some stories from David Chadwick's latest book. Zen is right now. He has an earlier book of this called Zen is Right Here. David Chadwick was an original student of Suzuki Roshi as well. He's a beautiful bodhisattva who is kind of the keeper of the stories in Suzuki Roshi's tradition. He's written many books. I mentioned him earlier. Crooked Cucumber is a book I really recommend if you want to know the early history of the San Francisco Zen Center and this landing of Suzuki Roshi in the midst of the hippies. So here are just a few stories. It's story time. You know, you can just, in Zazen posture, just open to these sweet little anecdotes where you might experience that whole worlds are there. So these are stories from students. And so here's the first one. Suzuki said that rather than having one or more objects to worship, we focus on whatever it is we're doing at the moment. Once Suzuki was asked, how do you know when you're enlightened? He responded, when you no longer complain. <laughs> Consider that. <laughs> That one 
I felt busted when I heard that. <laughs> and then at one of the lectures, Suzuki told about how he'd been invited to a college class to talk about Zen. He said, they asked me all kinds of questions like, when you talk about reality, do you mean phenomena or the noumena behind the phenomena? I didn't know how to answer. Suzuki laughed and said, I just had, I had to just tell them that is not our way. <laughs> I was just at BU last week. And so I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, the student asked, how is it that big mind can hide so well? How is it that big mind can hide so well? Suzuki said, because it is so big. He paused and then added, or because you're too nearsighted. <laughs> um, I'm having a great time. I hope you're having fun too. A student asked Suzuki, what is enlightenment? Enlightenment, Suzuki said. I think you won't like it. <laughs> priming the pump okay for what are your questions and how will you respond to each other as you're paired up um, during my first year or so of intense zazen practice i started having experiences that i thought were unique unusual and something to do with with attainment of enlightenment I requested an interview with Roshi and told him of my experiences, expecting praise and recognition. He just said, hmm, soon you won't be having this problem. This is common with beginning students. Your practice is okay, though. Just keep sitting. Big surprise. One morning at the end of Zazen, Suzuki spoke to the students still facing the wall, repeating an old theme with a new twist. So this is in the Zendo while they're sitting Zazen. When you hear the wake up bell, you should jump out of bed right away. You shouldn't lie there. Otherwise, how can you ever face death, which always comes suddenly? But don't jump out of bed the way I did this morning. I knocked over my kerosene lamp. <laughs> When I read that the first time, I thought that was pretty funny, but it's even funnier that he said that right in the middle of Sazen and the Zendo while they're all sitting facing the wall. <laughs> all right, let me see, maybe just a few more. I love returning to these stories. I find them very refreshing and very reorienting. It's too bad Mia and Bill and Wendy aren't here this morning. You know, it's the holidays and People have so many things happening and people who are teachers are very busy this time of year with end of semester stuff. But this was for them, for any of you who were here on Thursday night for the Way Seeking Mind Talks and someone asked about old age. One of the students says, Suzuki Roshi once said in a lecture that we practice Zen so we can appreciate our old age. Just a few more. 
Are you enjoying this? Is this okay? Is this comforting and encouraging? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, then I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a few more. <laughs> okay. I took Suzuki and Katagiri, who was another priest who Wendy met from the Minnesota Zen Meditation Center. He had come to um, San Francisco Zen Center to help Suzuki Roshi to train the students in the Zen forms. And so this one student says, I took Suzuki and Katagiri to a planetarium in San Francisco one afternoon. Katagiri paid attention, but Suzuki slept through the whole show and had to be awakened when the lights came on. Back on the street, I asked them both how they liked it. Very interesting, said Katagiri. Wonderful, said Suzuki. But you slept through the whole thing, I said. We all three looked at each other and burst out laughing at the same moment. <laughs> oh. Um, oh, so then... Someone says, I told Suzuki Roshi what I was experiencing. And he said that it was an enlightenment experience, that I'd taken good care of myself. And now I had to take care of everything. I asked what he meant by that. And he picked up a pencil on his table and said, you have to take care of this. And he picked up something else and said, and this. And he kept picking up things and saying that. Emily, somehow I think of you with this one. <laughs> Once when Suzuki was quite sick and being helped to a bed, he said, now I can be a little child. I don't have to be a Zen master. At the end of Sashin, I felt like I was drifting, spreading out into the air. When it was my turn to ask a question, I couldn't stop laughing. I was terrified. I asked him, Roshi, I feel like you are going to disappear, like I'm going to disappear, like everything's going to disappear. What should I do? He told me, you don't need to disappear if you don't want to. The student said to Suzuki, if we don't exercise discrimination, won't we get into situations that are dangerous or bad for us? Suzuki answered, no, I don't think so. I know we feel that way. We feel some need of being smart, but everyone knows what we should do and what we shouldn't do. It is not necessary to be so clever, especially in order to understand Buddha's way. One of the difficulties of being a Buddhist is being too smart. Just a few more. All right. This one I find hilarious. I went to Suzuki. I went to Suzuki and invited him and his wife to go for a sail on the bay in the middle of winter. I'll ask Okasan, his wife. He said. Call me Friday and I'll tell you what she says. On Friday, Roshi said, 
I asked Okasan, but I'm sorry she got sick. Oh, that's too bad. What's the trouble? I don't know. Maybe it's seasickness. <laughs> An awkward, polite silence. Then, well, maybe you can come without her. I can't, said Roshi quickly. I have to stay home and take care of her. <laughs> In a lecture, Suzuki said, the Buddha's zazen is a huge umbrella. In India, it is hot. And people need an umbrella to protect them from the sun. He opened an imaginary umbrella, extending his right hand high above his head and then he said if you want you can come inside and sit underneath it here with me as more people come inside it gets bigger and bigger it is actually so very sweet The student asked Suzuki what to do about getting sleepy in Zazen. Suzuki answered, that is the worst enemy. The only thing that may help is to get good sleep. And to have good sleep, it is necessary to organize your life. If you have good Zazen, it means you have a well-organized life. This is the last one. A student asked what the point was of all this hard practice. Suzuki said, so you can die well. So, you know, as Emily was chanting the echo, the dedication this morning and the, and the ceremony we just offered to honor our great teacher, Shinryu Suzuki Daiyosho. The line that really hit my heart was something about returning the kindness of our great teacher for us to return his kindness through our practice through our thrashing, our questions, and our continual determination to just keep showing up on the cushion for ourselves and for each other. I mean for each other within the Sangha, that's really important and beautiful under the umbrella, but I also mean wider, you know, for the whole world. And the other line that always hits me that I, I always kind of want to remember to say, because it's, it's kind of weird, it's that word Udambara, the Udambara flower. It's so poetic that this flower apparently blooms only rarely, very rarely. So practice, your practice is, you know, like the Udambara flower that blooms only rarely. How rare it is that you've shown up this morning in a place like this to do something like this. So how about just for 10 minutes, we just pair up and um, 
Just the question is, the question is, what's your question? What questions do you have about practice? About anything that I've said, about anything that Suzukiroshi said, about anything at all, about your life? What would you like to ask with your Dharma friend? And then we'll come back to the big group and see if anybody would like to say anything there. Okay, thank you. What was the punchline, Joan? <laughs> All right, I have to just say, Chris and I were paired up, and I, when that sign comes up that says fifty-eight seconds, I can't, I couldn't see Chris anymore, so I exited out, and I, I lost track of how much time was going to be left, and so I was right in the middle of the story. Chris, I think I'm going to probably tell everybody, so let me get back to that story. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Hello, um, hi. Thank you so much for, you know, not logging off and giving yourselves a chance to get to know each other a little bit and see what's here and then to come back and see if there's anything, the larger group that anybody would like to bring forth. You all look so sweet, by the way. <laughs> so sweet. Ah. Feel free to jump in, but I, I want to say about the sweetness. Sometimes people say, oh, it's so nice to come to the Zen Center. People are so nice there. Let me tell you, okay, we're all assholes in our own particular way, okay? I'm going to say that. We are. It's not that only nice people come to the Zen Center. It's not that only nice people come to a place like this. I'm a jerk, okay? But there is something about coming into a space like this, a practice place, where no matter how much of a jerk we are, I mean, it's just so huge to come into a space like this and to be willing to be still with each other, you know, to be willing to show up for each other, that of course we all look so sweet. And I hope you feel sweet too. I hope you feel, you know, inside what we see outside. Okay, unless anybody has anything you want to say, I'm going to share this story yeah. Okay. All right. So I was in the midst of telling Chris, it was really that I didn't think I was going to be paired up with anybody, but you know, it's okay. I'm like, it's fine. I was going to try to figure out how to get you out of your three, three grouper, but it was just too complicated. And so I, um, I feel like Chris, you can, you can say if this was true, I feel like I dropped the role a little bit of, you know, being in a teacher position and I was starting to share with Chris that I appreciate precisely that one little anecdote where I said, Emily, this reminds me of you, of Suzuki Roshi dropping the role of, you know, Zen master or teacher or Sangha leader or whatever, and just being a sick person in that moment, you know, that's what was happening for that human being. He was a sick person. And so I appreciate that in, in this religious, you know, inquiry, this warm hand to warm hand religious practice. And I say religion because there's a container that's very strong and very clear. You know, there's a whole culture here. Um, and this warm hand to warm hand is, is about being human. And so I've appreciated the teachers who I've studied with their humanity. You know, there's no backstage here. 
And so um, <laughs> I was just starting to tell the story without getting too much into comparing and contrasting. Paul Haller, I am going to name him the abbot of San Francisco Zen Center, who I was really close with because I was his assistant before I, I moved here. Um, he told me this story, and he's from both worlds. He does Zen teaching, and he also does teaching in the Theravadan tradition. And he was telling me about an early experience with someone who was leading kind of a mindfulness retreat, but it was it, they weren't coming from like a strong tradition, like the strong Theravada tradition. It was just, you know, some kind of, I don't even know what to call it. Someone who was just offering people a little bit of mindfulness. And he asked the whole group, okay, we're going to do a, mind, a meditation now, close your eyes. And, um, and he started guiding them into this meditation. And a few minutes into it, Paul peeked, he opened his eyes and he saw the instructor reaching into his bag and taking a bite of a sandwich <laughs> right in the middle of this meditation. And I thought about that for years, you know, that it could be okay. You know, here's some guy teaching other people that could be it's kind of okay, but that's not what we're doing here. Even when I'm offering a guided meditation, I mean, me personally, I'll say I'm in it too. And I think that's really important and ultimately what's trustworthy. I'm in it too. All right. So Chris, that was the punchline. I hope it wasn't too anticlimactic. I think it's hilarious. All right. Unless there's any last word, I want to just say thank you so much. Uh, we are sitting Sashim next week and we're doing it on zoom we're starting to explore physical practice spaces on cabot street but we're going very slowly about this because of the variant omicron i guess that's how we're pronouncing it just really watching that and really wanting to be super careful but also i'm going to share with you already um i'm feeling from some people who are newer to the Sangha, who maybe haven't even sat with us before, who have been really asking, when are we gonna be back in physical practice, are also telling me they're not vaccinated. And I can feel a fight working up. And so I just want you to know that my response is that the staff will be talking about this, the leadership will be talking about this on Tuesday, We'll bring it to the leadership body. There's a leadership meeting, which is open to everybody the following Tuesday at five, I think. We should really put those on the website so people can really know. Um, and we'll talk about this as a sangha. You know. <laughs> yeah. I really want to tell you how I feel about it, but I think maybe a lot of people here already know. It's just in the teaching of interconnectedness, which is at the heart of the teaching of Buddhist practice and Buddhist understanding. You know, how can we not want to take care of other people? Anyway, okay, so that was a little bit of a, yeah, so that was to say, so next week we're still on Zen Zoom for the all-day retreat. 
7 in the morning until 5 p.m. in the evening. And we are going to be working with breaking up, you know, the I'm really having an experience right now with Zoom. Um, of, I feel it in my whole back body of, you know, this almost two years into this. And so I really like standing up and doing like the walking meditation for sure together. Um, bowing, doing service together is very helpful. Uh, doing some movement. There'll be some meditative movement that we'll do together, which is really good to, to challenge, you know, our notion of sitting and to move a little bit. There'll be a Dharma talk and then we'll have a little bit of a longer tea together at the own, at the end uh, where we'll each be having a cup of tea and maybe something to eat together and then a chance to see if you have any questions or anything you'd like to share at the end of the day. So that's next weekend. And so the schedule will be different. There won't be a Dharma talk. I don't think it coincides with the usual time. So I, I hope you can join in if you're able. All right. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. This podcast is made possible by donations from listeners like you. For more information or to donate, please go to www.zencenternorthshore.org. Thank you.